Hello and welcome to episode number 66 of the Scottish History Podcast. My name is Owen Innes and this story I originally had planned for the Halloween episode but unfortunately things have been kind of up in the air recently. At the moment I'm recording this with a double ear infection and uh, yeah, feeling not particularly that great at the moment in time. But anyway, we've the show must go on as they say. So this episode is going to be about the Arthur's Seat Coffins. So join me for episode number 66 of the Scottish History Podcast while I explain a little bit about them. So I tend not to read an awful lot of fiction. Uh, To be honest, I I rarely get time to read at all these days. But one book series I have read pretty much from start to finish, every single book, uh, apart from the most latest one I'm still trying to get through, is the John Rebus series of novels. These novels are written by a brilliant author from Edinburgh by the name of Ian Rankin, an amazing writer of Scottish crime fiction. Scottish crime fiction is actually referred to as Tartan Noir, uh, as it is quite the subject these days. There's a lot of Scottish crime fiction available out there. The Rebus novels, uh, which are also have been adapted, some of the novels have been adapted into TV series and TV episodes as well, are initially set in Ian's fictional version of Edinburgh for the first three or four books until he realised it was actually probably easier to write about the real Edinburgh. In the 12th full-length Rebus novel uh, called The Falls, a major part of the story is centred around a small carved wooden doll contained inside a small coffin. Now this doll and coffin was heavily inspired by a real-life find in Edinburgh on Arthur's seat. So Arthur's seat we have mentioned before, but not really covered, so we'll start there. Arthur's seat is the largest part of the old extinct volcano of Edinburgh. It forms the site of special scientific interest, along with Colton Hill, and as well with Castle Hill. Its formation dates to around 341 million years ago, and carved out by a glacier roughly 2 million years ago. Now, just like Castle Rock from our episode about Edinburgh Castle, there was a hill fort atop Arthur's seat, likely occupied by the Votadini in 600 AD. 
Now, just for Rory, Chris and Johnny over at the Thistle Do Nicely HQ, on the 1st of May, 1590, a bonfire of 10 loads of coal and six barrels of tar was lit on Arthur's seat to welcome King James VI of Scotland, 1st of England, and his Queen Anne of Denmark into Edinburgh. Just on the Thistle Do Nicely thing, folks, the last episode that I uploaded was, of course, the Halloween episode that I did with Thistle Do Nicely this year about uh, James the Sixth and First, and, uh, of course, the Witch Trials. So if you haven't already listened to that, give that a wee listen and head across and listen to their other episodes. They're absolutely fantastic, guys. Arthur's seat is also mentioned as potentially the ancient seat of King Arthur, hence the name Arthur's seat, and could very well be the real location of Camelot. Now, it has been something I've been wanting to do for a long time, but I will revisit the theory that King Arthur was indeed Scottish in a future episode of the podcast. Arthur's seat is now popular with hill walkers and photographers who want excellent views over the city of Edinburgh, but how many of them know that what was found there in a cave on Arthur's seat in 1836? Now, Charles Fort, who was a journalist for the London Times, probably described it best in the 20th of July 1836 edition of the London Times, and it goes as such. That, in early July 1836, some boys were searching for rabbits' burrows in the rocky formation near Edinburgh, known as Arthur's Seat. In the side of a cliff they came upon some thin sheets of slate which they pulled out. Little cave, seventeen tiny coffins, three or four inches long. In the coffins were miniature wooden figures. They were dressed differently in both style and material. There were two tiers of eight coffins each and a third one begun with one coffin. The extraordinary datum which has especially made the mystery here. That the coffins had been deposited singly in the little cave and at intervals of many years. In the first tier the coffins were quite decayed and the wrappings had mouldered away. In the second tier the effects of age had not advanced so far and the top coffin was quite recent looking. Now, because my voice to me just now with this infection, uh, it sounds a bit strange anyway. I hope that didn't sound too strange to you. But yeah, um, you might be able to tell I was reading there from a newspaper. But uh, There are many theories as to what these coffins and dolls mean, but none are really conclusive. But we'll go through a couple of them anyway. The major theory was at the time that they were voodoo dolls or dolls used in some form of witchcraft ritual or ceremony. There was, however, no evidence of the dolls being hurt in any way, you know, with pins like voodoo dolls, etc. would normally be uh, to suggest this. So that theory has pretty much been ruled out. 
Another theory was brought that they were left as a tribute to sailors lost at sea. Uh, It was a supposed tradition or even a superstition that sailors carried coffins and dolls with them to sea. In 1976, a director of the Hamburg History Museum over in Germany suggested that these dolls and coffins were made to be sold to sailors. But this theory was ruled out again due to the fact that they were hidden in a damp cave instead of somewhere dry that you would be able to present them to sell them. The now most recognised theory, but one still with a couple of flaws is the theory that the 17 coffins and the 17 dolls contained within represented the victims of the subjects of episode 27 of this very podcast, William Burke and William Hare. Burke and Hare's 17 victims never got the chance of a proper burial, so it is very likely that these items could represent these 17 victims. The only real flaw to this particular theory is that at least 12 of Burke and Hare's victims were women, but all the dolls were dressed in male attire. Now that probably doesn't matter, certainly these days it wouldn't matter, but it is still a kind of little flaw that they saw at the time. Amongst the mystery is also, of course, who made them? Well, that cannot be answered as well. The most likely candidate, though, would be a shoemaker or a leather maker. The craftsmanship is good, but not that of an experienced carpenter. The tooling would also suggest that a shoemaker's curved knife was used. There was also evidence to suggest that the coffins and the dolls were made by two different people. Unfortunately, of the 17 coffins and dolls found, only 8 of them survive today. It is believed that upon finding them, the young boys pelted them with stones or even threw them at each other, threw them around like toys, but it is likely that the 8 coffins closest to the ground would have been sodden and rotten without proper attention would have fallen to pieces regardless. It is believed that the boys told their teacher about them, who then went and retrieved them, who passed them on to a man called Robert Fraser, a jeweller who had displayed them in his own private museum. Fraser retired in 1845 and the coffins were auctioned off to an unknown private collector for just £4, but that is roughly £425 in today's money. It seems that during that time, though, that they did change hands privately uh, at least once because in 1901, the last remaining eight coffins and dolls were donated to the National Museum of Scotland by a woman called Christina Cooper of Dumfries. They are now on display in the Museum of Scotland on Chambers Street in Edinburgh, that magnificent museum that I'm pretty sure I've told you many, many times to go and visit. Um, But not only that, a section is actually dedicated, a section of the museum, sorry, is actually dedicated to Ian Rankin's novel The Falls, as well as the coffins that were created for the TV adaptation. So you can see the real coffins and then go to a different part of the museum where you will find a copy of Ian Rankin's The Falls and you will see the coffins that they made for that particular television episode. In December of 2014, the National Museum received another package. 
Contained inside was a coffin with a dressed doll just like the ones they had on display. A note was present also which contained a passage from the Robert Louis Stevenson short story The Body Snatcher. However, the note begins simply with XVIII question mark the Roman numerals for number 18 so folks a little bit of a kind of shorter episode this week um, I'm just kind of trying to plough through some ideas that I've got at this moment in time but ideas is what I need please send in your requests to me um, a lot has been lost in the ether, so if you have even sent me through suggestions and everything before, please, please, please send them through again, especially if I haven't covered them. There are certain things, though, that I can't really cover. Um, someone recently has asked me to, um, for example, uh, do an episode on Brody Castle. There's literally five words about it online, um, so, if, you know, I can't do much more research than what I can do online. I can't go to these places uh, and find out information about them because <laughs> I work full-time for a living as well, folks. So um, so please, if, if you are unable to find out much information online, it's it's going to be quite difficult for me also to find out some information online. So, um, but please keep sending it anything whatsoever. Send them through, and I'll uh, and I will definitely always have a look into them. And if of course there's enough information there to put a full story out on, then I certainly will. The Scottish Enlightenment, the um, the Reformation, etc. These are all things I'm that I am going to be covering. The Covenanters. I keep saying I'm going to cover the Covenanters. I need to get myself down on there. Uh, the Templars, I want to do a wee bit on the Templars. I do uh, live not that far away from Rosalind Chapel, Rosalind Glen and things like that. Um, so I, I know that a few people have requested uh, episodes about them. So fingers crossed I can even get down there at some point and make a video because it's just very local. Um, instead of driving up to places like Aberdeenshire and stuff like that, it's, it's, it's not necessarily possible for me to do um, every day or every weekend you know but anyway i'm just starting to ramble uh so uh once again folks if you want to send me through any of your um requests please do so on the facebook page so that's facebook instagram or twitter uh, the best place to send though your um requests is by email because it's easier for me to put them into a folder so uh, by email it's scotthistorypod at gmail.com uh, thank you very much also to all my new patrons as well on Patreon. You guys are absolutely fantastic. Thank you very much for your support. If you do wish to support the podcast financially, you can do so via Patreon, which is p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash Scott History Pod. And uh, as a donation monthly, you can cancel at any time, that sort of thing. Um, uh, your support is greatly, greatly appreciated. Uh, anyway, folks, I'll leave it there. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, check out our website, www.scotthistorypod.com, to uh, find out a little bit more about me and, of course, to find out where you can listen to this episode. So thank you very much once again. Take care. I'll speak to you again next time. <laughs>